Hello, everyone, and welcome to San Francisco Ballet's To The Point podcast. I'm Kate McKinney, San Francisco Ballet's PR and Communications Manager and your host for today. If you don't already know, To The Point is essentially a mini audio program note that you may listen to before each SF Ballet program to get to know more about the artists and history of each ballet. Today's episode is a special one, more like a mini, mini program note that spans all seven programs of SF Ballet's 2021 digital season. The season is underway already, with George Balanchine's A Midsummer Night's Dream streaming until February 10. Nonetheless, I thought it'd be a good time to sit down and discuss a full overview of the season, which includes a most exciting three world premieres, plus plenty of other programs to look forward to, like Helgi Thomson's Swan Lake and Romeo and Juliet. Ready to dive in? Then let's get to the point. Nearly one year ago on March 6, 2020, San Francisco Ballet presented its opening night performance of Balanchine's A Midsummer Night's Dream, which at that point hadn't been seen with the company in 34 years. And just around intermission of that fateful opening night, the city of San Francisco announced that it would shut down activity at the War Memorial Opera House, the company's performance home, due to the incoming threat of the COVID-19 virus. In the week following that opening night closure, the company received clearance to get back on stage with no audience to film A Midsummer Night's Dream in a fully cinematic capture, with multiple cameras and film director Frank Zemakona at the helm. This specially filmed version, captured on March 14, 2020, is what is currently available on SF Ballet's site and features principal dancers Sasha DeSola and Esteban Hernandez as Titania and Oberon, and soloist Kevin Conley as Puck. In a nutshell, Midsummer was Balanchine's first full-length ballet created in 1962 for New York City Ballet and has remained one of his most enduring and charming works. Balanchine distilled Shakespeare's five acts into two, where the first act divulges the entire plot, tangled web of lovers and all, and the second act is pure dance, with a triple wedding and a central pas de deux between a newly introduced principal couple. In our filming, this pas de deux is danced by principal dancers Francis Chung and Ulrich Berkier. Midsummer is available to stream until February 10. Now there's an entire episode of To The Point dedicated to Midsummer that's already been published, so let's move forward to what's next on SF Ballet's 2021 digital season. The second program opens on February 11. This is the first mixed-built program of the season and features a world premiere ballet by Miles Thatcher. This is Thatcher's fourth repertory season work for the company, and it was filmed in the middle of December in multiple locations, at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the Yerba Buena Gardens, and in Golden Gate Park, and also on stage at the Opera House. For this ballet, Thatcher was inspired by art creation and consumption, the way those actions complement and sometimes contradict each other, and also the space in which we experience art and how it affects us, perhaps especially this year as we're all experiencing art from and creating it for the screens in our homes. Unlike the other two ballets on Program 2, Dwight Roden's Let's Begin at the End and Mark Morris's Sandpaper Ballet, Thatcher's world premiere is conceived for the screen. It's inspired by the mobiles of Alexander Calder, and is set to Steve Reich's variations for vibes, piano, and strings. For the premiere's costumes, designer Susan Romer envisions pedestrian attire in rich, saturated colors. The result is a casual but very punchy visual, with dancers in point shoes, allbirds, Cole Haan shoes, and leggings, bike shorts, and t-shirts in washes of intense reds, blues, and yellows in both costumes and design. Program 2 actually opens with Dwight Roden's Let's Begin at the End, created for the Unbound Festival in 2018. Roden is the co-founder of Complexion's Contemporary Ballet with dancer Desmond Richardson. 
And this particular ballet, Rodin not only blends ballet and contemporary dance, but also the music of Michael Nyman, Philip Glass, and Johann Sebastian Bach to create an evocative soundscape as the backdrop to his drama. And yes, while this ballet is technically abstract, it's full of drama. Rodin described it as dealing with, quote, the roller coaster ride of relationships, human nature, and how we connect or don't connect. The final ballet on program two is Mark Morris's cheeky and fun Sandpaper Ballet, created in 1999 for San Francisco Ballet. Sandpaper Ballet is set to a collection of novelty pop orchestral tunes by Leroy Anderson, the composer who gave us Sleigh Ride, among other fun pieces. In this ballet, 16 women and 9 men begin in and return frequently to a 5x5 grid, though they rarely return to the same spot they started in. This frequent return to the grid denotes a new choreographic section. It's a clever ballet that keeps the audience on its toes as much as the dancers, and one which defies categorization, demanding sharp musicality and a sense of gaiety and fun throughout. The second world premiere of the 2021 digital season is Wooden Dimes by Danielle Rowe, on Program 3, opening March 4. And who better to introduce this work than Rowe herself? Here she is discussing Wooden Dimes and how it began for the stage and transitions to film, which she also directs. Hi, my name is Danielle Rowe, and I am the director and choreographer of Wooden Dimes, a new film by San Francisco Ballet. The inspiration for this piece came after Helgi Thomason commissioned me to choreograph. Originally, it was going to be performed at the Orpheum Theatre, which is a new space for San Francisco Ballet. Um, the War Memorial Opera House was um, meant to be renovated. And so I thought it would be interesting to look at the Orpheum and its history and attempt to create something that really um, encapsulated the beauty of the Art Deco uh, architecture of the Orpheum. It was uh, designed and built for vaudeville and I adore vaudeville and so I thought I would build a story that was based in the 1920s when vaudeville was um, you know in full force and then the story developed to focus on a relationship, um, a married couple uh, Betty Fine and Robert Fine, and how they coped with Betty Fine's rise to stardom as a vaudeville star. Um, Robert is a, I guess you would say, a civilian. Um, he, is, he, he has a job where he feels like he's just one of many. Their love is very simple at first, but becomes more and more complicated as um, Betty's life transforms. Uh, I also wanted to look at the world of the theatre and as we, as we went into shutdown and um, a lot of artists were forced to stop working, um, I think it really hit home how much the theatre and that space is church for, for us. And so a lot of the story takes place in the dressing room, which is that space between what I call like the real world and the magical world of the stage and the, and the theatre and, um, and how many performance, performers they 
really transform in that dressing room space. And I really kind of wanted to pay homage to um, the world that and the space that um, a lot of artists and theatre goers are mourning for. I really love um, what we've created. My, I think the, my favourite part about the film is that we have tried at least and I think we've accomplished this um, feeling of actually being in the theatre. So for people watching at home, I, I hope that they can really get the sense that they're sitting in the auditorium with the that feeling that you get when you're removed from the outside world. Um, the whole um, film is shot on stage, but we've transformed it in a way that I hope elevates it um, and that we are thrust into different worlds completely within um, within the story. But yeah, I think my favourite part about it really is the the respect that has been um, that has been given to the stage and the theatre. That's Danielle Rowe discussing Wooden Dimes, her world premiere on Program 3, which she not only choreographs but also directs for film. James A. Stevenson has created an original score for this ballet. Also on Program 3 is Alexei Rutmansky's Symphony No. 9 and Yuri Posikov's Swimmer. Symphony No. 9 is the first ballet in Ratmansky's evening-length triptych Shostakovich trilogy, which SF Ballet most recently performed in London in the summer of 2019. When Ratmansky started work on Shostakovich trilogy, the idea he had was to create a full evening ballet out of three of Shostakovich's non-dance works. The impetus was not biographical per se, but nonetheless, Shostakovich's work is often deeply personal, even when abstract, and in Symphony No. 9, Rodmansky seems to infuse the dancing with Shostakovich's own life story, one full of artistic triumph, but also, like all Soviet artists, at the whim of an oppressive government. Shostakovich was twice denounced and heavily censored in his lifetime. There's this kind of anxiety in this ballet that underlines the often joyful dancing throughout. Yuri Posikov's Swimmer rounds out Program 3. The ballet is inspired by John Cheever's surrealistic short story, The Swimmer, in which a young man swims from swim swimming pool to swimming pool throughout the neighborhood before finally returning home to find his own house abandoned. This is a fan-favorite ballet and a true San Francisco production. It's by Yuri Posikov, our choreographer-in-residence, and a longtime principal dancer with the company, and features music by SF Ballet Orchestra member and double bassist Shinji Eshima, created here in 2015. Swimmer involves a huge cast, including students from San Francisco Ballet School. In fact, despite this ballet predating COVID-19, it feels almost made for this quote-unquote new normal digital era. It features stunning projections by local director and producer Kate Duhamel that blend animation and dance in such a way that it can be hard to see where one begins and the other ends. Balanchine's masterpiece Jewels opens on April 1st. Choreographed in 1967, this full-length evening is made up of three separate ballets, emeralds, rubies, and diamonds, which each evoke their own ideas and moods, and when taken as a whole, suggest that this work is as much a meditation on ballet style in France, the United States, and Russia as it is a choreographic interpretation of its eponymous gemstones. For this stream, we're pulling two performances from the archives, 
rubies captured in 2016, and diamonds captured in 2017. And perhaps most excitingly, we are recording emeralds anew this week in the War Memorial Opera House. To bring you up to speed after the city shutdowns last spring, dancers were able to return to in-person, potted rehearsals in September to prepare to film a number of ballets for the streaming season, including the three world premieres and also emeralds. Now, for Jules, legend has it that Balanchine was inspired to create the ballets by a visit to jeweler Van Cleef and Arpels. And maybe that was the case. It's also possible that the whole conceit was a marketing strategy. There were elaborate photo shoots at Van Cleef and Arpels, press photos of the leading ladies decked out in their jewels, and the allure of a quote-unquote first three-act plotless ballet. All to say this ballet was a hit before it even hit the stage and its popularity has never really waned in the last half century. Moving right along, Program 5, opening April 22nd, introduces the third world premiere of the 2021 digital season, Mrs. Robinson by Kathy Marston. This ballet was scheduled to premiere live in person in March of 2020, but as we already noted, things didn't really go as planned last year. So now Marston has reconceived this ballet for the screen. Let's hear Marston introduce this ballet. Helgi had asked me to make a new piece. I went into a bookshop and I saw a copy of The Graduate by Charles Webb. I picked it up and I thought, oh, that's got potential. Turned it over, read, it was written in San Francisco. I took it immediately to the counter, bought the book, and I thought, this is the piece that I need to make next for the San Francisco Ballet. Outside of the book, we know who Mrs. Robinson is, we think. You know, it's almost like there's a Mrs. Robinson syndrome. If you say, oh, she's a bit of a Mrs. Robinson, you know it means she's an older woman who's perhaps having an affair with a younger man. She continued saying, quote, in the film, Anne Bancroft is impenetrable. You don't know what she's thinking, and that's actually genius. I suppose that's my inspiration for the piece. I wanted to get underneath the surface and find out why Mrs. Robinson is as she is, why she does the things that she does. And that music you heard in the clip is music from Mrs. Robinson. It's an original score by Terry Davies. Alongside Mrs. Robinson's long-awaited premiere on Program 5 is Helgi Thomason's 748, which opens the program, and David Dawson's Anima Animus. 748 is one of more than 50 works Thomason, who is not only artistic director but also principal choreographer for the company, has made for San Francisco Ballet in the 36 years he's been here. This ballet was made for a group of remarkable dancers in 2004, only one of whom, Wan Wan Ten, is still with the company. The ballet does exactly what it says. It's a work for eight dancers in seven sections, and it's set to a series of keyboard concertos written by Johann Sebastian Bach. There's a black-on-black -black color scheme, dramatic lighting effects, and shifting moods that seem to update the Baroque music for a modern era. Rounding out Program 5 is David Dawson's Anima Animus. Created by British choreographer David Dawson, this ballet was one of the biggest hits of the Unbound Festival. When Dawson made this ballet, it was his first commission in the United States, a surprising fact given that he is extremely well-known in Europe and several American companies have some of his older works in their repertoire. For this work, Dawson was interested in exploring the ways in which ballet's movements are tied to gender. In some sections, he gives weighty, masculine movements to the women and lighter, feminine movements to the men, while in others, he highlights these typically gendered aspects of ballet technique. 
The music here is Ezio Basso's Esso Concerto, and its driving pulse seems to push the dancers and David to ever greater heights, pushing them beyond what seems possible. The two final programs of the 2021 digital season are both smash hit story ballets, Romeo and Juliet and Swan Lake, both by Helgi Thomason. I thought it'd be nice to hear from Helgi in his own words about why he was inspired to create both of these ballets, beginning with Romeo and Juliet. I choreographed Romeo and Juliet because I've always loved the music of Prokofiev. I never had the opportunity to myself to dance the role of Romeo. Maybe in, a, in many ways, it helped me when I came to my own version. I didn't have any baggage with me to say, well, I, I learned that version. I did, this is what I'm doing, whatever. I think it was something that I had always wanted to dance, but I never had the opportunity. So maybe that's uh, was my way of, of, of creating a, a version of it that would be my version of it, the way I felt about it. And when asked about what a listener might look forward to in his Romeo and Juliet, Helgi Thomason suggests this. I think that the, uh, the emotional stress that Juliet is going through when she has gotten the poison from the friar and knows she, she doesn't want to get married to this person that her father is insisting on. And that whole uh, bedroom scene with the father insisting and and how she reacts to the poison, and, you know, and the, the fear of the poison, but yet this is the only way out. Uh, I find that very emotional, and, and I can't imagine what it must feel being basically, uh, which was done in those days, if women were a commodity for, for, you know, wealthy people like that. It was all about who they married or who they were given to marry to, to make alliances. So I just can't, I couldn't understand what she's going through, but I tried to show it in, in the movement that she, I made her, Juliet do. And, and so I think that's, that's one of the things. Uh, you, you would, but most people would say, well, what about the balcony part of it? What about the bedroom part of it? Yes, of course. But for me, there's something in that bedroom where she's alone and has to deal with what the emotional thing, what she's going to do and how can she solve this. Helgi Thomson's Romeo and Juliet, which was most recently seen with SF Ballet in Copenhagen in the fall of 2019, is the penultimate program of the season, opening May 6. That ballet was created in 1994 and marks the final collaboration between Thomson and Jens Jakob Warse before Warse's death, concluding a robust partnership between the two artists. The two had even visited Verona together before creating the ballet, scouting the location of Shakespeare's drama to better serve their creation. Finally, Helgi Thomason's Swan Lake concludes the 2021 digital season, opening May 20th and running through June 9. A quintessentially classical ballet, I again asked Helgi, why choreograph this work? Well, first remember that Helgi's first production of Swan Lake was in 1988, another collaboration with Jens Jakob a new production debuted in 2009, which is what will close this season. Here's Helgi. I felt when I came here a long time ago, um, it was very important for the company to um, to be taken serious as a ballet company. It was just not enough to do small ballets. You had to be able to do the full evening works, the classics, being Swan Lake, Giselle, Sleeping Beauty or whatever. And 
So I set out to do Swan Lake because I thought they, they had to be challenged. The dancers had to be challenged by that. And uh, if they could do it and, and do it well, it would be a, a big step for the company in uh, becoming what we have become, an international company. Uh, known for superb dancing and, and, and a repertory that expands from the classics to the very contemporary. But I thought that that would be very necessary to do, and that's why I set out to do Swan Lake. That's Helgi Thomason discussing the impetus for choreographing Swan Lake for the first time in 1988, a mere three years after he joined the company. Fast forward two or so decades, and Thomason created a new production of Swan Lake in 2009 with the Tony Award-winning designer Jonathan Fensum. And out of all the elements to look forward to in Swan Lake, what might be Helgi's favorite? Well, there's a lot of dancing in it, that's, that's for sure. And, and there is, you know, the, the second act, Adagio, is, is just beautiful. You know, you can't really top that second act, and that's why I didn't fuss around with it at all. The second act is maybe the most famous scene in all of ballet. Odette and her dozens of swans, all dressed in white tutus, dance together, moving and breathing as one. We'll take a deep dive into the history of Swan Lake in a later episode of To The Point. In the meantime, thank you for joining us for this brief review of the 2021 digital season, a historic one to say the least. Definitely check out our archive of Meet the Artist talks and points of view lectures on our Meet the Artist podcast, and keep an eye on sfballet.org events for all that's going on on screen this season. In addition, please do leave us a rating and review in the Apple Store and reach out on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at SF Ballet. We'd love to hear from you and your ratings and reviews help us reach new and bigger audiences. Thanks for listening and thank you again for joining us for the 2021 season. We'll see you on the screen.